Welcome to episode one of our new podcast, Britpop Movies of a Certain Age. Yes, indeed. And as mentioned previously, we are going to be moving straight on to our first film, which is no less than 1961's The Young Ones. So let's have a synopsis. Okay, bear in mind there'll be some spoilers, so Mm. stick your fingers in the ears if you don't want any of that. So Cliff Richard plays Nicky, an aspiring rock and roll singer and denizen of the ramshackle Simpkins Youth Club in central London. He and his friends discover that the whole area has been bought up to be redeveloped by greedy property tycoon Hamilton Black. Oh, an absolute rotter. He was a rotter. But, in an earth-shattering twist, unbeknownst to his friends, Nicky is actually Hamilton Black's son. Dun, dun, dun! And challenges his dad in order to save the club. The collective youth clubbers come up with the idea of putting on a show. What a new idea. And uh, to run down theatre in order to raise funds to buy back the lease on the building. So Black goes to great and often underhanded lengths to torpedo the kids' plans. Damn cared. What a cared. Including paying off the star of the show and buying out the theatre in which they are going to perform. Nicky and his friends decide to surreptitiously promote the show via a series of pirate broadcasts of the mystery singer who is now going to perform at the show, who is, of course, Nicky. Black's interfering antics prompt a few of the kids to kidnap him and attempt to duff him up, and so Nicky, and on hearing of this, and because blood's thicker than water and he's a peaceful sort of chap, steps in to rescue his dad, whereupon, after displaying previously unmentioned martial arts abilities, father and son best the aggressors. On making it up, Black agrees to save the youth club the show goes ahead. Black Senior dances on stage with the kids. Somehow, youth mm, culture and capitalism both win. The end. Marvellous. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I think before we move on to the detail and some sort of connections mm. and <clears throat> where this fits in the whole pantheon of pop movies, mm. did you like it? I did, actually, yeah. Mm. I did. I, I have to say, I've not seen... A cliff movie. Um, don't think since many, I, many years. Um, since I was a kid, and I remember mm. watching some with my dad years before. I definitely saw Summer Holiday. Mm. Possibly saw this and or Wonderful Life. De- definitely one Summer of, Holiday was the most frequently featured yeah. on telly. Really, but yeah. I've seen more than one because I remember the shadows doing different things in the different mm. movies. But I haven't actually seen one. Um, since then I didn't know what to expect and I, I can't say my hopes were terribly high but I have to say I rather enjoyed pleasantly it surprised. pleasantly surprised mm-hmm. is the term I was looking for yeah yeah, yeah I mean I, I liked it um, I think if you are not a fan of hokey let's do the show right here um, all singing all dancing music movies which are full of positivity and gleaming smiles this is mm. not going to be the cute no. movie for you Um I thought it moved along really nicely. I thought the pacing was good. I thought it was gorgeously shot. Mm. It was filmed with joie de vivre, with invention. The blend of rock and roll and pop balladeering and old-time MGM-style musical worked really well. Fabulously choreographed. The set pieces sat really well. Robert Morley... The heart of the film oh, holds it all together. Performance, wonderful performance. And Cliff Richard holds his own. Yeah. He grows into the demands that he's given. Yeah. And shines in parts of the movie. Yeah. Really, for me, where this sits in the overall picture of pop movies, 
this for me is the first one which looks like an A movie. Yes. It looks yeah. like a proper feature film where someone has thought about making the script fit and having a broader range of characters in it that move the plot along and link the songs into what's happening in in the plot. Whereas most of the pop movies that preceded this were just, now the singer's going to sing a song. Yeah. Or this band, who we haven't seen in this film before and won't see again, are now going to play a number. uh, And in between, we're going to have an awkward pop star saying lines very woodenly that have been written on the back of a fag packet. Yeah. And, And this didn't feel like that. No. It felt like... However facile the plot is, it felt like it had been worked on to run smoothly and be enjoyable. And it yeah, was. I think so. And it goes on with quite a clip, doesn't it? It's sort of, it's, yeah. it's a nicely paced film. I think there's very little about it that you would change. No. Other than not make it kind of yeah, thing. You know, yeah. you could say, so there'd be loads of people going, well, they shouldn't have bothered in the first place. You know, the, the uh, viewing audience deserves something a bit more cutting edge than this. And edgy it is not. No. It is definitely... Even compared to Cliff's first yeah. couple of appearances in films, Serious Charles has got quite a dark mm. uh, subject matter. Very and, dark, yeah. And the second one, Expresso Bongo is saying, mm. see me Soho and there's topless yeah. dancers and things like that. Yeah. There's none of that in this. I mean, it's just a real feel-good... Yeah positive wholesome sort of movie i suppose a comparison in the american stakes would be april love with pat boone or something (laughs) like that but i think it's i think it's not quite as bad as that no it's not quite as safe as that and there are elements in it the most broody thing in the film without a shadow of a doubt shadow of a doubt sorry Uh, is jet harris yeah who kind of really some glowering presence isn't he yeah and god God forbid he's actually loosened his tie at one point yeah that's some shocking shocking behaviour the film is a very nice wholesome film which was clearly looking to attract a very broad base of audience a family audience that's the thing I mean I know it sounds like a facile thing to say but the feeling I came away from is that it's got something for everybody. Yeah. In terms of the music, there's the rock and roll. Yep. There's the ballads, there's the show tunes. And then in terms of the acting, you've got your Robert Morley's as well as the younger cast members. You've got Cliff the pop star and you've got the shadows there, which the would shadow. the, shadows, the shadows, I think, yes. would have attracted very much more of the young male audience. Yes. I, yes. I would imagine that although there'd be lots of young females who'd love the shadows as well, I, I'm thinking yeah. the boys probably thought the shads were cool and the girls were probably yeah, more after, for the dreamy cliff. dreamy cliff. Yeah, ticks ticks all of those boxes. Yeah. And it, it really, in terms of background, this is a point in Cliff's career where he's transforming yeah. from a brooding Elvis impersonator. Yeah. And not impersonator, but obviously Elvis was a big, Heavy big influence time. to him. And if you look at the early stuff he was doing on Jack Good's Yeah, yeah, Oh Boy, oh boy yeah. Yeah, he's and, definitely and he, aping that Elvis style, that the curled lip, yeah, and the, and the way he stood, and yeah, the, with the, yeah, the, the look and the it, very yeah. hanging, and then just sort yeah. of glancing up at the thing. Yeah, and it's easy to forget because we know Cliff Richard in this country mm. so so well, yes. and we know him as a clean cut, hey, yeah. kind of guy, an and evangelical, the, yeah, the, the squad and, and all this yeah, yeah, and yeah. this kind of. Thing. It's easy to forget that in his initial incarnation, he was. Good at that yeah. sort of brooding, sultry really was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. style. Now we look at it, and it would be tempting to say, "Oh, it's it's fake. He's putting it on." And but at the time, 
I think that's really there's no question that Cliff loved rock and roll, still oh, loves yeah, yeah, rock yeah, and yeah, roll yeah. to this day. One of his recent loves to was, uh, absolutely, was, was a rock and, and roll. he loves rock Comes and roll. Down. Definitely more of the roll and less of the rock, <laughs> but he he does love that style, and he was trying to do it the best way that he could do it and I think if his career had finished in 1961 yeah. and we'd never heard of him again you would look back at his body of work up to that yeah. point and say he was a good British rock and roller yeah, yeah absolutely move it yeah dynamite high class baby absolutely he was a good British rock and roller at the time yeah yeah and at this point in his career he's he starts to move on yeah because the the shelf life of a pop star was viewed as very little, yeah. and and he had his two years. It was move on or or get left behind. Yeah, he was in a period of transition mm. at this point in his career and in his personal life. In his personal life, his um his father had recently died. He was quite a dominating, if not domineering, presence in his life. Who would he took a very close interest in his son's career and uh, would go on tour with him. He'd he'd look out for his girlfriends. He'd be there with the management decisions. He was practically mm. his personal manager and road manager. Um, his father had died shortly before the making of this movie. Mm. Um, so Cliff was reeling from that and I think was starting to reassess his life, mm. um, which would ultimately result in his, his Christian conversion. Do you think he had guilt, guilt issues? Um, he was certainly grieving an awful lot. Mm. He was certainly grieving an awful lot. And I know there's a quote where, where he... Um, I mean, to quote from his autobiography, he said, I felt completely empty, lost, numbed, my father had been such a dominant figure in my life. He had been there for every decision, every question, every uncertainty. He controlled everything. He made the rules, set the limits, meted out the punishment. And I had lived under his rule unquestioningly. I knew nothing else and I had wanted nothing else. He even controlled my love life. Cliff states in his uh, autobiography. So that, that yeah. and he was really... No, that's a strong, strong yeah, situation. Yeah. Well, and, it's definitely at this point that Cliff moves into the all-round entertainment slot. It starts doing panto, starts doing TV specials, which are very much in that Saturday and Sunday night primetime viewing slot, does those with the shadows. So he's definitely moving forward. Well, he told his departing manager, because he'd been managed by a bloke called Tito Burns. That's right, yeah. um, For the early part of his career, Mm. first couple of years. And um, he moved on. He'd met a bloke called Peter Peter Gormley, Gormley. Australian guy, guy, who I think had worked with Frank Ifield. Before, yeah, yeah, yeah. Had been his manager, come over with him. Yeah. Clifford told Tito Burns as he was moving on that he was going in a different direction in future, yeah. and he very much was. And I think mm. Gormley was the person who uh, he saw could facilitate yeah, because Gormley stayed with him for quite a while, quite didn't he? Into the seventies, yeah, I believe so. I believe so. Yeah, yeah. So that was going on as well. So he's mm. changing. His father had died. He was changing management. Mm. He clearly wanted to move into a new phase of his career. I think at the grand old age of twenty one. I think twenty yeah, or twenty one. Yeah, he was an old timer. Yeah, and. Um, and also, and this is something that doesn't get talked about, and he mm-hmm. brought this up in his autobiography as well, uh, something that belied his increasingly clean-cut image uh, at the time was that he had just been having an affair with Jet Harris's wife. No. With his bass player's wife. Really? Yep. Caramba. And apparently she seduced him, according to Cliff in his book. Wow. But, um, but... <laughs> but... According to him. Oh, yes. Well, no, it seems more likely, actually, yeah, given, yeah. Cliff, given Cliff's... Yeah, personality and reticence yeah. and that sort of, and uh, anyway, and, and, I don't uh, want to get too drawn yeah, yeah, into that side yeah, of Cliff. But. Not really any of my business, but it was, but it was, exactly, um, yeah. but it was, but that had happened, and apparently, as one of the, 
his father had found out about it and very much put the kibosh put, yes, yeah, on it. it but this, like that it. could also account for some of the glowering looks that uh, Jack well, Maybe that's why, <laughs> maybe that's why <laughs> Jack Harris looked so moody and then buggered <laughs> off shortly afterwards. Yeah, yeah. Gosh, to, I did not know that. That's amazing. Yeah, but yeah, so Cliff was going through a lot mm. at the time of the making mm. of this film. I think important to say at this point, while we're talking about Cliff and, and his performance, mm. I don't think there's ever been a performer in British pop music or in any of the entertainment field who's worked harder at his craft no. than Cliff. No. He was so career-focused. Yeah, I think I recall when we were listening to Fury's notes, yeah, Sidney J. Sydney J. Fury, J. Fury, that is who's the, the director, director of the film, yeah. that he was saying that Cliff Richard was very receptive. You, yeah. He was easy to work with because you give him direction and he'd be fully focused, fully listened. So he worked on it until he yeah. could do it. And then, you know, he moved on. Judging from what I've found out about mm. Cliff in in the research I've done, particularly for this, um, he was a very respectful and receptive yeah. young man, particularly yeah. back then. He was, and I remember Tito Burns saying in an interview that you only had to tell him once. Yeah. You only had to tell yeah. him once and he took it on. Yeah. He did respect his elders. Yeah. I would certainly say that where that reflects in his performance is he's got quite a wide remit in the film. Yeah. So there's the the acting... And then there's the dancing, the singing obviously is a given, but he displays great range. Yeah. So he's convincing in the rock and roll. Yep, yep, absolutely. And I think probably the best moment for him there comes in We Say Yeah. Yeah, so he's, he's, because he's really, uh, really He sings good. the hell out of it. Yeah, he, he gives so he it. Really, and he's not camping it up no. or a apolo- bit doing it apologetically. No. He's giving it a... He's, giving he's it enjoying himself. Yeah. He's enjoying himself in his old style. Yeah, very much. But yeah. he's equally comfortable. I mean, we'd seen him in the... I think it was A Voice in the Wilderness in Espresso Bongo doing that yeah. balladeering yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he does that here with with The Girl in Your Arms yeah, and yeah, Lessons yeah. in Love, I think, is the other one. Yes, that he ballads. That he sings as ballads. So we know he's comfortable there, but what is interesting is he translates to the show tune style yeah. stuff like a duck to water. Yeah, didn't and, phase him. Didn't phase and him. he's not a dancer, but he moves very nicely. Yeah. Um, and we'll come, obviously, to the choreography and, and the, the work on that later. Mm. But it's a versatile performance that shows increasing accomplishment yeah. from him. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, I mean, let's move on to the rest of the cast. Yes. What I think is remarkable about the film... And what sets it apart in many ways from a lot of the other pop vehicles is, although Cliff Richard is very much centre field, it's not all about him. It's not. Actually, There's a no. lot of other people who are integral to the success of the film in front of the camera. Yes. Not least Robert Morley. Yeah, yeah. But I would say that even unlike the rivals, and I'm thinking really of the Elvis Presley movies yeah. across the pond. So Elvis, who was a much bigger star than Cliff worldwide was doing movies in which he was probably in pretty much every scene. Yeah, yeah. And this isn't like that. And he no. was singing all the songs occasionally if he had a big co-star like um, Anne-Margaret. Anne-Margaret, absolutely, yeah. He would have a duet. He sung with a couple of kids on mm. one, two bits and pieces. But largely he's singing all the songs yeah. in the film and he's in nearly all the scenes. And it's just Elvis, Elvis, Elvis. Whereas... In this vehicle, there's a lot of people playing important roles. And, of yeah. course, as we're saying, back to Robert Morley, old-time star. Yes. Cruises through the movie. It's not as yeah. if he has to challenge himself. He doesn't himself. really break a sweat, but, he's, but he does it brilliantly. And he's got such a nice line in sort of ironical uh, Well, he gets, some, he gets some prime 
lines in the script. Yeah. Uh, which he delivers just perfectly. What's my favourite one? Is uh, If it's a fight you're after, I'm your man. You won't win, but it'd be good experience for you. Yeah, <laughs> and then the other one where he's talking about if you're... Uh, your landlord is all right. You'll be fine. But I'm a brute. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just, it's just great stuff. And interestingly enough, I think that Cliff, dramatically, mm. is best in the scenes that he's in yeah, with Robert Yeah, he raises Morley. his game, doesn't he? I, I think yeah. Robert Morley brings him up. Mm. So the pacing with which Morley delivers his line, Cliff comes in off the back of them. You know, it's it's if you're working with a master, you start to improve a bit like... Um, Mark Hamill when he was working with Alec Guinness yeah, in Star yeah, yeah. Wars though you you get you've got a safe hand on the tiller and suddenly a rookie actor starts to look better than yeah, he does in the in the scene. scenes where he's necessarily with the kids or, mm. and he's doing a okay fellas yeah. scene and it's slightly more stilted and a bit more forced but when he's doing his little sparring with Robert Morley yeah. he comes across really well but Robert Morley was glad to do the picture. Yeah. B- because yeah. it gave him kudos with his That's own right. kids. That's right. Who were probably largely ignoring his career in boring black and white serious films. Uh, yeah, another costume uh, drama, Dad, old Another, dear. yeah, oh, God. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm not going to see that. Do we have to, Mum? Uh, whereas now, I'm, you're working with Cliff Richard. Great stuff. And I know that Sidney Fury, the director, again, confirmed yeah. that. And he yeah. confirmed that... Um, Cliff and Robert Morley got on really well. Yes, they did. And and that Morley enjoyed making the film. And again, I think that reiterates the point that Cliff was wanting to learn. He wasn't in there going, I'm the big star of this film. He was like, this guy is an actor. Yes. This guy knows what he's doing. I'm going to learn from him. And that's his respectfulness coming out again. So who else have we got on that cast list aside from Robert Morley? Well, there's a a number of youngsters in the cast, uh, particularly Carol Gray Mm. as Cliff's love interest. Yeah, she was in the film. Zimbabwean dancer. Yes, yes, it was then, but yes, from from Zimbabwe, what's now Zimbabwe. Mm. There there was a few people earmarked for the role that she plays. Um, Mm. Most surprisingly, Herbert Ross, the choreographer, Mm. had seen on Broadway a teenage Barbara Streisand. Yeah. And the mind boggles as to what would have happened think, if she, she would have upended the film uh, I think, I think she, would, she have... would have been completely wrong for the film I mean yeah. you just have to look at Streisand I mean although she wasn't a film star at this time no. she was just sort of starting out on Broadway you know from her early roles how exuberant she was and how dominant on screen mm. she always was particularly in the 60s yeah. and early 70s absolutely a force of nature mm. and I don't think that that would have been the right balance for this film. I think she would have completely dominated Cliff. Yeah. Um, on screen, even if she was trying not to. <laughs> just, just sort of hopeless. And I know that Cliff also was interested in Helen Shapiro taking the role. Yes. I yeah. think that would have been a better fit in some ways. Well, in vocally, perhaps. Yeah, but yeah. I think it would have changed the tenor of it because I think she would have had to have more songs. Yeah. Um, yeah. And less dancing. Yes. So Helen Shapiro <laughs> wouldn't have been able to do the, have the no. dancing chops. And she would have needed more songs. That might have tipped the balance of, of yeah. the thing. It You're not going to have a waste <clears throat> of Helen Shapiro to sing one, two songs. Yeah. Well, I think that, because I think they made the right decision in the end. Because uh, Carol Gray, she doesn't, she's good, but she doesn't take the light away from Cliff. Yeah. She does her, her stuff economically. And, and being a dancer first. There's the bit in Nothing is Impossible, mm. where she climbs backwards up the wall. Yeah. And 
you have to be a dancer to, to, yeah, to do it to equip yourself with it that. It was a move I and, think I first saw with Donald O'Connor in Singing in the Rain. He runs yeah. up the wall and comes back. And, and yeah, she was doing that. Yeah, you have yeah, to be a dancer. And you have to be a dancer. So it's, I think they made the right thing in getting a dancer because they dubbed her voice. It was Grazina Frame. That's right. Did who the, did Summer Holidays overdub. Yeah, that's right. And she appeared as herself in the pop films What a Crazy World that's and right. Every Day's a Holiday. Every Day's a Holiday with she John Layton. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I think they, they did make the right decision getting the I think they did. Um, interestingly the, enough, though... Uh, Annette Robertson, yes, who the redheaded, was uh, the redheaded girl, announced yeah. as his co-star before yeah. they cast Carol Gray. Yeah, and they demoted her down the cast list. Yeah, uh, yeah. and it's interesting uh, because I don't think she would have been right. No, good I don't actress. Think so. yeah, she's, yeah, but, she's but I don't think she looked right. Not for that role. Not no. for that role. No. Um, I don't think she had that. She had that earthy look rather yeah. than a she sort of that, glamorous. She look. She was good as the cookie sidekick. Uh, and, Carol Gray's acting is. Okay, yeah. without being great, but she, she yeah. did all right, and she did a she had a decent career in films after this. She was in, but a bit bit of a scream queen. She did several British <laughs> horror films. She did she had the Curse of the Fly, oh, the, the second in, sequel in the to, series, to, to yeah. in the Fly series, the original Fly series. She did Island of Terror, which is great if you've never seen Island it. Island of Terror. Terror, which is um, with her and uh, Peter Cushing. I've not seen yeah, it. It's well worth a watch. It's got mm-hmm. the, the silicate monsters in it that, ah. that are artificially bred and go around um, swallowing the life out of people on a on a remote Scottish island. And they um, they look like something you find in your hanky. But they right. <laughs> but it's um, it's it's the, those two and the bloke off of um, Day of the Earth Caught Fire whose name uh, escapes me. Escapes but right, yes. but, uh, but she's in that. She's in Brides of Fu Manchu with Christopher Lee. Okay, and and she's also in Oh What a Lovely War. Yes, which is late sixties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she made a few films mm. throughout the sixties. She did, she did all right. She did all right. Yeah, yeah. But I think she retired shortly. She after. probably did. A, I mean, I don't know, but she probably did a fair amount of stage work as well as a yeah, dancer. I I suppose, thought I so, and maybe even some TV. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. If you know, look us up and uh, put in our comments if you know yeah. more about Carol Gray. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so moving on from Carol Gray, there were plenty of other young sidekicks, and they yeah. were kind of a mix between. Actors and dancers, weren't yeah, they? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, well, we've already mentioned um, Annette Robertson. Yeah, she had an interesting career. She she quits herself very well in the in the role of sort of the directory, uh, the level headed. She's the most grown up of yeah. the of she, the young. She's the level headed uh, organizer one, isn't yeah. she? In the in the yeah. group, but in real life, the year after this, she married an up and coming young actor by the name of John Hurt. Oh, who ever heard of him? Never heard of him. No, no, no. Whatever. Yeah. What sort of career did he have? So she was the first Mrs. Hurt. Right. And um, and she. How long few... were they married? Do you know. Uh, a couple of years, I think. Oh. <laughs> showbiz. <laughs> it's showbiz, showbiz, folks. <laughs> but she made a few interesting. Had a few interesting parts over the sixties, in mm. particular. She did a kind of loving shortly after this. With Lovely Alan film. Bates. Good film. Good yeah, film. she's in that. She's in uh, what was then a controversial uh, movie called The Party's Over with Oliver Reed. Yeah, I've seen it. Oliver Reed in a very curious role. Yeah, and uh, it's all about the death of an American socialite. That's why, right, among in... the sort of beatniks and bohemians, yeah, they're all terribly, terribly beatnik. Yeah, it's quite, yeah, it's, 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 quite, it's, yeah. it's quite a interesting film. Yeah, uh, yeah. but then interesting for me is that uh, she appeared in a Doctor Who. Uh, story. Uh, yeah, spo- yeah. Uh, alert here we have a Doctor Who uh, fanatic Hello, in our yes. midst yes absolutely midst. and uh, if I can find a Doctor Who connection I will yeah yeah and considering <laughs> most of the films we'll be covering have loads of British character actors in you, you yeah, be it's more... more likely they were in Doctor <laughs> Who at some stage <laughs> at than some they point. weren't yes but she she was in a, one of the historical stories they did set around the Exciting period of the Huguenot massacre. Oh, the, uh, the heady days! Paris, the heady the days Huguenot in Paris um, in the 16th century, and she right. played a, a servant girl called Anne Chaplet, who the production team st- strongly felt 
for a while or considered that her character should be the next companion. Oh, right. So she narrowly missed out on being the next full-time Doctor Who So this Who is companion. for Bill Hartnell. William Hartnell, mm-hmm. yeah. Bill Hartnell and Peter Purvis were right. the TARDIS team at the time. Yeah. And she was due to be the, the new Doctor Who oh. uh, uh, companion. But they changed their mind at the last minute. They didn't want a historical figure as a companion. So they bought him right at the last minute, wrote her out and got in a character who was supposed to be a descendant okay. of hers. Um, which is a shame. So, but she, she could very nearly have been the... Um, the next Doctor Who companion, mm. and she had a, she had a good career. She, yeah, she, she's still with us. She's still with us. Teddy Green mm. is in mm. this, and he's in Summer Holiday, the, yeah. the follow up. And Teddy Green, clearly a fine performer, a, clearly mm. a fine dancer, yes. and he's he's perfectly good in the role. Yes, certain parts of it he does really well. Mm. Mm. Um, he's really good in the set pieces, the musical numbers. Yeah. Well, he's Fantastic. the first one you see, isn't he, on yeah. the top of the building site? Yeah, and he, uh, and he comes, it's Friday night. night. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but some of his lines, when he's he's doing the the acting side, are more forced and more yeah. mannered. I would say more mannered. So you think, oh, that's a funny way of saying that. Yeah, or yeah, that's yeah. Sort of, it, it's not that he's horrific. It's just that you notice he's acting. Yeah. Whereas the and difference between the yeah. network, you know, well, she's, she's an actress first and foremost. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it was a blend yeah. of those sort of people. But Teddy Green. Uh, does a good job was good yeah he was good in these and, he, and, and in Summer Holiday that, yeah. that came after and it and he had a decent career and he yep. worked as a choreographer as well yes um, uh, that, and he I think he was in Sorry for a bit I think he had a regular part was in he? Sorry and it's, he did a lot of telly uh, did a lot of telly after that. I mean I, I will caveat what I said before in that this would be an early film role for for Teddy Green so he, he yeah. might have become a very accomplished actor yeah, yeah, yeah. by the end of it but certainly he looks more mannered I think that's partly also to do with this era of making pop movies and that film that you mentioned The Party's Over mm. there's a patois mm. of in this speech that they use which sounds yeah. really you, weird to yeah. us today like daddy yeah, yeah, you know all that sort of stuff on daddy. You, yeah and yeah. you're just like what are you on about you yeah, know it it's... sounds so mannered now and and I may be doing him a disservice in that his speech patterns might have been very now yeah. then yeah because I think it's worth saying about the film in general that it is such a capsule it's so 1961 it couldn't be more so if, if it tried even no. down to Advertising, there, there's the, um, the the Strand. The Strand guy, yeah, yeah, yeah. The guy is on the alone, telly. Never alone with the Strand. Yeah. It's almost like it's an, a marketing placement for 1961. Yeah. Hello, we are 1961. Yeah. And everything that's good and shiny yeah. about 1961. Yeah. Let's not talk about the grime and the squalor yeah, and, and all the of the rest of it. And the bombsites and the bombsites. Yeah. Never mind about that. And, and that's really what this film is all about. It's mm. about the positive, the a, a glamour which to British audiences would have been unreachable. yeah was much more an American style. And you get the feeling that this film is squarely targeted at taking on, doing an American style musical yes, yeah. in the grand It's manner. not just a little provincial make a buck thing. Yeah. It's, it's definitely reaching out to America. Absolutely. Yeah, it's looking, that, it's looking across the Atlantic, certainly. Yeah. Uh, so who else we got? We've got, um, we got Richard O'Sullivan mm. and Melvin Hayes. Yeah. They're both, they're both of whom became big stars in the 70s, in, particularly in sitcoms in the 70s. Sitcom, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but had started as mm. as child performers, both of them. They're sort of paired together as a as a duo in this. And Melvin Hayes, of course, would go on to be in Ain't uh, all Man. three. Uh, no, well, yeah, uh, Ain't mm-hmm. Man. But he appears in all three of he these does. Cliff movies that, the that, three that begin with this one. 
Pete Cliff yeah. Ruiz. So this one, Summer Holiday and Wonderful, Wonderful Life. Life. Yeah, yeah, he's in all three of those. And O'Sullivan, I believe, is in Wonderful Life. In exactly the same relationship with Melvin Hayes. Yeah. <laughs> so they obviously, looking back, thought that was really good. They they rock along really well. Yeah, let's let's try that again. Yeah. So they they are very much his sidekick comedy relief they certainly are yeah 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 they? and they're both actors rather than dancers or singers i don't think yeah, either yeah, of them no, were adept in that department at all no yeah, i believe that's about 10 years between them because i think yeah. richard o'sullivan really was um only about 16 when he made the movie yeah and he looks it and I he mean, looks it. you can see it in his face yeah and i remember he's not it. grown into his face yet no, at that point. he's not yet the mutton chop man about the house no chap yet, and his he? voice <laughs> is very very light uh because he's got quite a timbre to his voice mm. in later years yeah, yeah, and yeah. he's yet to develop that and he's sort of playing a slightly pompous overblown character yeah, in yeah, this, and in wonderful life yeah with his bowler hat yeah his, yeah it's very terribly terribly english yeah, and a little, uh, little bit above his station isn't he a little bit a little bit uh a little bit pompous and, and he's, he's uh, working in the solicitor's office in yeah. this particular movie with the fellow who's uh, caught with his hands in the uh, cookie jar. Well, the inky fingers on his uh, coffee parade magazine. In, indeed, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and, and Melvin Hayes, because uh, this is unusual in as much as it's a film about youths, in, in mm. quotes, where, that actually has young people in it. Most it of does. the cast are barely yeah. out of their teens. Melvin Hayes was the granddaddy of the... He was the, the oldest. The, he was the, 25. Uh, yeah, yeah. Although still playing um, teenagers. Well, he, was, he, he played the young Peter Cushing in Curse of Frankenstein, the young mm, Victor Frankenstein, oh, okay. for Hammer a few years before. And just the year before, he was still he played a schoolboy in Bottoms Up with Jimmy Edwards. Ah, yeah. Well, that very much got a 1950s yeah. feel to it. Where he, yeah, and he's paired in that with a, a young actor called John Mitchell. Oh, who yes. plays the main schoolboy in that, who we should return to again when we do Live It Up. He turns okay. up in that. And there's and he's interesting. He had an interesting career that I shall uh, bring up. Interestingly in that, enough, in Melvin Hayes, I remember seeing him in a film, I think it's something like um, No Trees in the Street, catchy, mm. catchy yeah. film title, if ever there was one. Absolutely. I'm but he, he plays a kid in it, uh, of course, because mm. he had such a slight, skinny sort of frame. Mm. He plays a kid in it, as an, and it's a very serious role. Mm. Um, he's a kid that goes off the rails when he becomes a part of a small-time gang, mm. criminal gang. Seem to be endless amounts of criminal movies in the <laughs> yeah. 50s and the, the 60s, all about a life of crime. Uh, Herbert Lom was yes. the, oh, okay. the the gangster yes. who takes Melvin Hayes' character under his wing, mm-hmm. but with no regard. And, and it's Melvin Hayes who pays the price, either with his life or he gets incarcerated yeah. or what. You know, he has a, a, a rise, sharp rise at the top and a descent yeah, yeah. into mayhem yeah, uh, yeah. shortly after. And a very different role. Sylvia Sims, I think, plays oh, okay. his sister. Yes, yes, yes. In it, and who's trying to sort him out but can't. Mm. So he wasn't just a comedy actor at this no. point in time. Although he's in with Jimmy Edwards, as you say, he wasn't just a comedy actor. But I think about this time, he becomes cast and type, maybe typecast as a comedy actor yeah, because yeah, he yeah. does such a nice light turn. Uh, he's got this. such a good feel for it. He yeah, this, he does. In Interestingly movie. enough, I know because, of course, Melvin Hayes had dark hair. Yes. and the He did, didn't he? Yeah. American money in this or the, the american influence in it said that he had to dye his hair blonde ah. because they said no 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 your lead has the dark hair cliff mm. in this case and and your comic sidekick's got to be blonde and yeah. melvin was does he yeah and he said yeah absolutely so he had to dye his hair and he's made, quite dark in real life isn't yeah he? it made yeah. him look very odd yeah. really i remember seeing i think it must have been summer holiday because he's even blonder yeah he's even blonder yeah, he's even blonder, yeah. yeah. i would say 
Our last word on Melvin Hayes, what on earth was going on with the tailor? Oh, right. Because yeah. <laughs> he made his suit. It's like an elevated suit like this. And and it comes to the midriff and is a sort of double-buttoned over job, a design that definitely didn't make the cut no. in, in throughout the Literally. rest of the 60s. Because, no. I mean, it's a transition phase fashion-wise, yeah. isn't it? Because it's moving out of the 50s, isn't it? And a it's... lot of the cut of Cliff's stuff still has a more broader overall feel of a yes. 50s suit but they they've got the winkle picker shoes which are even mentioned in the open number that like, opening number oh. yes get on your winkle picker shoes oh, and take me to the, the dance tonight. tonight and the trousers are becoming a little bit tighter Tighter, yeah 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 um not leggy mount batten no, tight but, the yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but getting there but there's definitely that sort of uh carryover and interestingly enough speaking of fashion What's in the one of the opening oh, shots? Oh, Cecil G. Cecil G. Yes. Cecil G. So you know, you can, it's. I wonder if he paid to it. I bet he did. Uh, I yeah. bet they paid to it. Sponsored by Cecil G. You can see the sixties trying to break through the mm. the undergrowth. Yeah, the fifties bomb sites. The well, certainly in the Elstree film set. Yeah, certainly on the Elstree. Yeah, because yeah. it is a set. Most of that, most of what you see in the street scenes. Yeah. is a set. They're not the very, very beginning, but it's um, but a lot of it is a set. And that was a standing set. For the, years. For years on, yeah, on they did. Street, Didn't it? they do the Avengers and the stuff? The Avengers though? was yeah. used on it. Yeah. Um, all the sorts. Saint? Yeah, yeah. I think all those big sort of um, mm. ITV and ITC, um, ITV yeah. dramas. You know. Yeah, which looks great. The Tower Block. Yes. That um, the, the yeah. Cliff... Is it Cliff Works in there? That's um, Castrol House, which is in yes. Marylebone Road in London, which was the the offices of the Castrol Oil Company. Yeah, and Castrol uh, it's, GTA. It's now flats, apparently, but it's still uh, there. The, the building's still there in Marylebone Road. Yeah. Fabulous. And then, of course, the theatre. Yes, which is the Finsbury Park, Finsbury Empire. Park Empire. Famous yeah. venue. Yeah, Famous yeah. venue. I think they did just the one what I would call a location shoot, and that was at Ryslip, wasn't it? At yeah, oh, yeah. Lido, yeah, because... For the uh, actual young one scene. Yeah, well, Cliff takes his girlfriend at the Ryslip Lido. Yeah. And, uh, oh, she, uh, oh, oh, my word. And, um, I think that's just a rumour. That make your eyes water. Yeah. But, uh, um, but, yeah, that's the big location, apart from a few street shots and, yeah. uh, and the building site thing at the beginning. Yeah. It's, most of it is shot on a set, but the, the Ryslip Lido scene is majority well, it, of it. Sydney Fury said that was the one good day of summer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness it all worked out there. The, the one day of summer they had in And interestingly enough, even that, the young one's sequence there mm. is so aligned to the rest of the film in that it's aspirational living mm. you see all these wholesome young yeah. people out there on their water skis and doing all this stuff it's all super wholesome super clean super aspirational yeah this isn't a gritty movie at all no nope. yeah despite the, even you know the, the few rough leather clad boys in it and also robert morley's character sort of referring to the um yeah the bicycle chains and the flick knives oh, yes. and know, the coshes the coshes yes but it's not you don't um, see any you don't see any and it's not like i mean in serious charge mm. um i'm sure we should look at it in greater depth yeah you do have um there, there really are bicycle chains and flick yeah. knives and again it's set in a youth club but it's not a youth club you necessarily want to hang out in a, yeah. in an area that you'd really want to want, want to be around. Well, interestingly enough, in this movie, Morley's character, although he's the baddie yeah. for much of the movie, he's never bested or ridiculed by the youngsters in it. So no. it, the temptation with a with a, with a lot of these films would be to make the the establishment figure look ridiculous. Yes. 
And in this movie, that never happens. No, no, no. There's a respect for the establishment <laughs> figure running right yeah. the way through the core of this movie. And in the end, it's the bringing together of yeah. the youth rebels yeah. and the establishment figure, yeah. isn't it? Because everybody wins, doesn't it, at the yes, end? Yeah, yes. everyone. They sort of come yeah. to a compromise and everybody wins. Yeah. Let's win the movie right here. <laughs> Let's get on to... Sidney J. Fury, we've mentioned him a few times already. Yes, indeed. Young Canadian, 28 years he old. He was 28, yeah, because he'd made a few films in Canada mm. that had been noticed by uh, British producers. They hadn't, they hadn't set the world No, alive, no big box office. Enough, yeah. But enough for people to go, this guy's interesting. And he's an up-and-coming. And, yeah, and a young guy, yeah. I think appointing him showed that they wanted a thrusty young director mm. who was close enough in age to the age group that A, he was working with, and B, that they were largely targeting as yeah. the core audience. We've said that this was a broad appeal movie, mm. but they definitely wanted the kids. That's why it's yeah. in our series, because yeah, it's yeah, a pop yeah. movie, yeah, yeah, musical. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. He's definitely confident. Yep, absolutely. And that confidence comes across in, throughout. He's confident enough to use strange effects. Yeah. Vaseline the on red the camera. The red Vaseline thing yeah. on the camera. To yeah, make yeah, a yeah. dream-like sequence. It's very Heath yeah. Robinson. It is, yeah. But, but effective and... Yeah. Although they're filming in CinemaScope, mm. which is which obviously... Which he was a big fan of. Oh, him, a huge yeah. fan, wasn't he? Yeah, and uh, because it, it gives that broad canvas. Some of those outside scenes, when they're showing from the, the high-rise buildings and some of the broader mm. scenes of London, work really well to bring that Elstree set alive and connect yes. it to real life. Absolutely. I think that Absolutely. works really well. That's a clever choice. The, 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 the cinematography is great. And he's only using one camera. Yeah. They only had one camera. Yeah, I know yeah, that yeah. later in his career he would work with no less than three at <gasps> any one time. Luxury. But at this point they're using one camera and every shot has to be lit painstakingly. But there's lots of cross cuts and it's it's very well edited. Yeah. There's great continuity and, lo- and lots of big scenes and narrow work. Yeah. It's great work. Cause, yeah, because he, um, he wasn't a director who, um, according to his notes, the storyboarded. No. He would do it That's right. as he went along yeah. and pick shots and things as he went along. Yeah. So, I mean, some of the shots yeah. in the performance at the end, uh, the shots of the guitar playing and, mm. the, and the dancing and things like that. Are, are, they show a good understanding yeah. of the medium. Are well yeah. framed and well yeah. framed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and they, they don't... I mean, I've seen lots of musicals where people have cut off people's feet yeah. or they, they film... <laughs> musicians who may actually be playing but make them look like they're not playing yeah it's it's weird how they do it and it's obviously people who fundamentally don't understand their subject matter and and it was clear from this that fury did understand he knew where the payoff shots were yeah very well put together yeah and it's worth saying that fury of course had come to britain and he stayed in britain for many years and he said it was quite a culture change because Britain was was cheap to work in. Yes. He said it was very cheap at the time. The crews were superb. Yeah. And he always has said he's had fantastic respect for the British crews. But boy, their work methods were different yeah. to what he was used to. <laughs> tea break. Yeah. Drop everything. Tea yeah, break, yeah. tea break, tea break. Tea break. And then boozy lunch. Yeah, long boozy lunch. Long boozy, boozy lunch. lunch. And then five o'clock. Bonk. Even if Cliff is in the middle of going, hey, fellas, he wouldn't yeah. get to the... S-. He said it was it was, it was was quite a sort of shock to the system, but mm. which he got used to. Yeah. And, 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 but he, he had a lot of talent under him, didn't he? As he yeah, there. he said it was really an enjoyable shoot. He did all of the theatre scene when he was in a tremendous <laughs> state. He was hungover beyond belief, wasn't he? Yeah. He was absolutely hanging. As far as you know what direction to point the shots at. He, he was hanging when they did the theatre uh, shots. But he had a... 
good career. Good career. It's a, a well, a, an uneven career. Yeah, but certainly a very interesting one. I mean, he went he went straight on from this. In fact, there's some connections. He went straight on uh, for this to make a a very different movie because they wanted him mm. to. The producers wanted him to do what became Summer Holiday. And well, he did do a bit of. He did do a bit of. That's right. He did do a bit of um, scripting and, and uh, location shooting. Yeah. Uh, not log shooting. Yeah, but location. Scouting. Uh, work, yeah, yeah, and he, um, but instead he decided to go completely opposite direction yeah. and do a quite a gritty black and white uh, courtroom movie called The Boys, yeah, which is about good um, film. a very good film with uh, mm. it was it Dudley Sutton, yeah, uh, uh, it was his first movie, and um, Ronald Lacey yeah. and Jess Conrad, Jess Conrad, Jess Conrad, the man who Cliff had nothing to fear in the yeah, in the yeah, charts. nothing to fear. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you quiz yourself very well. No, no, it's good in the fi- it's a uh, good film and um, mm. about a bunch of um, teenage boys on charge for murder during a bubble mm. robbery. And it's um, although it's a very different film, it's got some connections with um, the young ones because it's got Robert Morley is in it again as, the as a defense lawyer. counsel. Yep. and um, and it had uh, well, it's also got a cameo, and we forgot to mention her just now of um, Rita Webb. Rita Webb, yeah, Rita who's Webb. The, who's the lady at the uh, in the in the market scene yeah. in in this um uh, does a great job there and she, well it's it's uh, one thing that the young ones does really well it's got these little vignettes as yeah. well which again you don't see in a lot of the other pop movies mm. so rita webb who if you don't know who rita webb is there's no shame in that mm. but you would recognize her yeah you won't know if, her you, name if you watch films in this era at all you will yeah. know the face of rita of webb yeah. yeah face and the hair and she does a <laughs> lovely little bit with her trying to buy grapes and Fruit and bananas yeah. from from Melvin Hayes, yeah, and a lovely little mm. bit there. But mm. yeah, but um, and and she's in the, in the boys as well. And mm. and the uh, the other big connection with with this movie is that the soundtrack um, for the boys was composed by the Shadows. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And and obviously produced by Noe Paramore <laughs> yeah. as well, who who produced the music in this film. Mm. So yeah, it's a it's a, a very different movie, and that that was Sidney J. Fury as well. And and he went, he did come back and do um, Wonderful Life. Wonderful Life. Yeah. For Cliff as yeah. well later on, um, but I think he felt he was repeating himself a little bit there. But he did, and, and his career shows that by and large he doesn't like to cover the same ground because. Uh, uh, but he proved that because after the Wonderful Life, he um, he went to do one of the key films of the sixties, which yeah. was the Ipcrest, Ipcrest file. file, yeah, yeah. and uh, which was one of the films that established Michael Caine as the the big star of the decade, mm. and one of the defining films of the decade, so, a, a superb and, and, film, and, yeah. and like a anti Bond. Spy yeah. film as well. It was made by the same people. And you can see again that in this period, I mean, The Boys was a completely different beast altogether, but The Ipcris File, in common with Wonderful Life and The Young Ones, the cinematography is great. Yeah. And they're, they're using that cinema scope and those. I mean, the opening sequence of the Icarus file alone is worth just going to the cinema. Yeah, yeah, where he's yeah. Preparing his coffee, oh, doing yes. his morning yes, routine. Yes, fantastic yes. stuff. Routine, yeah. um, and Fury, I think, is is really developing some brilliant skills in, in this point. But uh, yeah. it, it's it's a shame. I can see he's a, he's a maverick guy. He was always his own man. He was always fearless, mm. never to be intimidated. Mm. Um, and he made decisions in his career, which I think mean that he doesn't have quite the body of work now that would have elevated him into the top echelons. Yeah. For director, I mean... Because he missed out on or turned down Hard Day's Night. I think he turned down Hard Day's Night. I think he felt yeah. it was too... Rather than missed out on it, I, yeah. I think he felt it was too 
close to the material he'd been doing with yeah, Clifford. And, and he had no idea thing. that Hard Day's Night was going to turn out to be what it mm. was. And in fact, yeah. in his hands, it probably wouldn't well, have. No, it would have been a very different film. Because yeah. he, he wasn't the same style as Dick It had been a good one. Have, yeah, absolutely. But, he, uh, but it would have been a very di- without Dick Lester's style of direction. It would have been a very different angular yeah. and... and and Dick Lester's humour as well is yeah. different. I mean, you can see Sidney Fury's got good humour too, yeah. but different style. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it would have been completely different films. Yeah. But he also uh, turned down the Planet of the Apes. Planet of the Apes. Planet of the Apes he? he missed out of. Uh, so or, yeah, he just needed, to my money, although he had a good career yeah, or has had a good career yeah. to this point, it's still going. Yeah, yeah. Um, he did the. Iron Eagle films in the oh. 80s, which <laughs> they were hits, they were mm-hmm. hits, maybe not his But he maybe film, needed a bit more credible box office, yeah, uh, in his career. I think his peak is the Hipcrest file, yeah. And I, I, I wonder whether he was, I don't know, but I wonder whether he was offered funeral in Berlin and, and again turned it yeah. down because he didn't want to tread the same ground. Um, mm, I wouldn't I be surprised, yeah, it sounds, it sounds likely, but it, it would have likely. been probably helpful to his career if he had done the rest yeah. of the Harry Palmer, yeah. The director of photography in this mm. film is Douglas Slocum, yep, who does a a brilliant job with the the full color Technicolor oh. cinema scope. It's gorgeous to watch. Yeah. It's glows nineteen sixty one, doesn't it? And mm. it, um, and I know Fury said that he found it <clears throat> uh, frustrating because he was a very meticulous mm. guy, Slocum, and and would take ages setting up the shots. But what shots? Yeah, that that, that each shot looks fantastic. They do. And um, Slocum well, had, was a veteran of Ealing comedies. Yes, that's so right. So done Lavender Hill Mob and all those sorts mm. of uh, the Kind Hearts and Coronets. Yes. So he did the innovative work on Kind Hearts and Coronets that enabled Alec Guinness to play these different characters. Oh, yeah. The, the, characters. Yeah, the four, yeah. Yeah, so he was no slouch. Yeah. And he went on to do the yeah, Italian well, it, job. Yes, and he did The Boys for Sydney Fury straight after yeah. this. He did that. He did The Servant in black and white. Oh, Very different. Servant's what a film. What a film. And... Um, yeah. 70s, he did... Uh, Jesus he did, Christ Superstar. Jesus Christ Superstar, Rollerball. Rollerball. Rollerball was another one. And then, and then. in the 80s, uh, his work, because I think he'd worked on Close Encounters, uh, Steven Spielberg used him as director of photography mm. on the three the three good Indiana Jones yeah, films. They, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the proper ones. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, he did all three of them, even though he's come to the end of his career. Mm. Um, Spielberg loved his work yeah. and trusted him, and, and he, did, yeah, he did the cinematography really brilliantly on the... He was clearly one of the top... Cinematographers, absolutely of, of any day. Yeah, uh, his, his uh, career spanning uh, four decades. Yeah, so. incredible. Because he would have been in his forties when he made. Yeah, uh, when he made about 40, young 47 ones. or something. Yeah. yeah, not a young one himself. Yeah, although forty-seven is not no, that old, a, is it? A no. fabulous age. A fabulous age. Very fine age. Fine. Age. Some peak. might say in your prime. In your prime. In your peak. Yes. <clears throat> and um, looking after the choreography. Yes. On this film was Herbert Ross, mm. an American. It was only his second film. He was a very experienced Broadway mm. um, choreographer. Yeah. He'd previously done Carmen Jones, the film uh, with, with Dorothy Dandridge and Harry Belafonte. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Um, and he um, and he does a brilliant job. Although apparently his relations with um, with yeah, Fury were f- are a bit frosty. I or think is, uh, I think standoffish. Um, yeah. I think they had a cordial but lukewarm working relationship yes. I think born out of the fact that in Herbert Ross's eyes he would have been the senior man yes he would have viewed Fury as who who is this is guy this yeah, yeah, you yeah. know and I've been in the business for longer than him and actually I'd quite like to direct yeah. this film well he did because he wanted to get into he direction wanted, and, and did and very much did I mean I've made a little list here okay go ahead with the list it really quite surprised me how many famous films mm-hmm. that he did because obviously we mentioned Barbara Streisand earlier and he it was that Streisand was Ross's choice <clears throat> 
to yeah, be, to be right, the guy because yeah, yeah. he'd seen her and obviously he really loved her work because he choreographed Funny Girl oh, with a Streisand film. And then um, one of his first films as director was Owl and Pussycat with, oh, yeah, uh, Streisand, with yeah. uh, Barbara Streisand. They did Play It Again, Sam, with Woody uh, Allen, yeah, nice directed film, that yeah. very funny yeah. film. Uh, Sunshine Boys, the Neil Simon oh, film. Oh, I love that film. Yeah, that's um, Walter Matthau and, of course, George Burns. Yeah. And uh, and then he directed Funny Lady, the sequel to Funny Girl. Okay. Again with Streisand. Yeah. Um, did 7% Solution with Nicole Williamson. Right. Goodbye Girl, Neil Simon. Yeah. California Suite, also Neil, Neil Simon. Simon. Uh, the film adaptation of Pennies from Heaven, the Dennis Potter okay, TV yeah. play, which yeah, had yeah. Uh, uh, Steve Martin. Yeah. And it did Footloose in the Downy, 80s. Okay, we'll forgive him. We'll forgive him that. But a very successful film. Yeah, yeah. Secret My Success with Michael J. Okay. Fox. He did Steel Magnolias. Okay, so he did, yeah. And Boys on the Side, I think, was his last one. All right. So he had a consistently yeah, successful... Yeah, um, Probably, more, actually, more consistently successful than Sydney Jackie Fury. Fury. Absolutely. I, I mean, there, you're yeah. looking at box office there yeah. that I think was probably missing in Fury's yeah. uh, CV. Yeah. I get the impression that he did gain a grudging respect for Fury yeah. and was actually... Ha- he was okay with it. It was By just that yeah. Fury definitely valued Ross's work. There's no yeah. question of that. In in the notes that accompany the movie, yeah. he thought that Ross's work was absolutely top. And it yeah. really was. You can't criticise it, it one really bit. Was. It is brilliant. The initial sequence, sequence on the building site and yeah. going into the uh, and down the street and everything like that is mm. is wonderful. And the bit I love is the, the moment in Nothing is Impossible mm. where Carol Gray does the thing where she goes up the wall. She goes I up didn't the wall. this just now. And, Cli- and Cliff's yeah. spinning around Cliff's the lamppost. Spinning around the lamppost. Yeah. Yeah. And they're both of them ascending over the gate and yeah. Cliff disappears. <laughs> wires, yeah, and dis- it's like, it's well, a- what's, what's really nice, I think, about the, the choreography is... It's such a broad spectrum on it because you've got the big, big dance routines, all for one and one for all, and yeah. then um, the the theatrical, what do you know, we've got a yeah, show. Yeah, the central piece, yeah. Uh, and that has different things coming in and out, small two-piece dances, the bigger ensemble bits. And in the youth club, yeah. there's loads of dancers in it, yeah. loads of young dancers yeah, working the with club, the principal yeah. cast. And you've got... Non-dancers flipping into these with these dancers, so he knows how to utilize people like Cliff Richard yeah. to get them to move well, but then go off shot to let the yeah, dancers let take the dancers over and take do the real tricky people stuff. People don't really know what they're doing. But, but yeah. he can also cope with an awful lot of bodies moving in different directions. There's shades of a movie called Bye Bye Birdie, okay, which is a, a film I think from about 1960. It's um, Anne Margaret's first movie. Oh, okay, yeah, and. Right. Uh, Dick Van Dyke as the sort hey. of slightly, although he wasn't that old at the time, slightly more adult star of it. Bobby Rydell plays the young kid star in it. And it, what, they wanted Elvis oh. to play the rock and roller in it, but the colonel wouldn't let him. So oh. they had, I forget the name of the guy, but he he, he was, uh, he wouldn't, he, he's not as good as Elvis would have been in no. the role, let me just say. No, no, no. But it was a, a nice film written by Charles Strauss, who went on to do Annie. Oh, okay. Um, and there's a number in it called A Lot of Living to Do, yes. which is also a big ensemble. It's in a bar or co- coffee bar or whatever, a malt house or whatever <laughs> they call those things in America. And, and loads of kids coming across and the, 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 it's a snappy number. It, th- there's shades of that, Bye Bye Birdie, mm. even in the colouring of the movie, actually, yeah. <laughs> uh, in this. And it, it's got that early 60s vibe really down. And the choreography is, is spot on. Mm. And then 
when he gets the chance, so with Carol Gray and her dancers in yes. the theatre bit, he in, goes in all Bob Fosse on. He realises, now I've got five dancers, I'm going to change this a little bit. So yes. it's it's good stuff. Yeah. Uh, and, it, and it does work to project this mo- movie into a proper full-blown MGM-style musical, yes. which is what they wanted. Yeah. They wanted this to be... And I know Cliff would have wanted, at the start of this, for this to be something different and not like those other pop vehicles. No. And it was a proper musical. And um, we haven't spoken, but probably should, mm. about the the filmmakers themselves. Because, oh, of yeah, course, we had yeah, associated, yeah, associated British, British films. Associated British films, yeah. And they, they'd been there since basically the beginning of the British film industry. Mm. They'd, uh, they'd worked a lot with Hitchcock mm. back in the, in the 20s and 20s and 30s. They did Blackmail with Hitchcock, right, yes. which is the first... It wasn't intended to be, but it became the first British talkie. It was started as it started as a as a normal silent movie, and then the jazz singer happened in, uh, in America, and he um, and so it became halfway through. They changed it around and became, turned it into a talkie. So they produced that in the fifties. That must have been a rush job. No, actually, <laughs> well, they had a bit of trouble with it, and there's a there's a little bit of um, uh, publicity footage of it because the star of Blackmail. Mm. This is going off topic a bit, but the star of Blackmail, I think, was German or something. She wasn't oh. a native English speaker, oh, which right. is which is no hassle if you're making a silent movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and and but they had to do it. They had someone off camera with a microphone, and she was mouthing her lines, and somebody else was all very singing in all, the rain, all very singing. Yeah. In the rain. <laughs> and um, and so she did. Um, but later on, Associated British did um, did the Dam Busters. Oh right, and Ask Cold in Alex. There's some, yeah, some interesting yeah. Fine war movies. Yeah. Um, and I be- they sort of changed tack. I think they had a change of management or so around about this point and decided to move into pop movies. Right. This one and Summer Holiday were both associated British. Yes. Whatever was going to happen, it was going to be Cliff's, it was be Cliff's film. first leading man yeah. film. But it was originally going to be um, a thriller by Marjorie Allingham, right. or based on a Marjorie Allingham mm. story called Hide My Eyes, okay. which I think was one of her campion detective stories. Yeah, yeah. And Cliff was going to be in that. I don't know. What was he going to be? I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. Because Campion was Peter Davison, wasn't he, on telly? Yeah. Another Maybe doctor, he was going to be a, a version of that role. Yeah. But I'm very glad they didn't go down that yeah. route. I think he, I'm not belittling Cliff's acting, but at this stage, I don't think there's any way he could have carried no. a 90-minute uh, straight vehicle no. with a couple of pop songs thrown in. And I, don't, and I think that's what Kenneth Harper, the producer... Wisely. wisely you chose wisely. You chose wisely, my son. And it was... Uh, so he... So I think it was his decision to say, no, it's going to be a, a proper musical... Rock and roll musical, but a musical nonetheless. And but, we're going to make... We're going we're gonna to do this... And they properly. did go for that wet, that that MGM... Yeah. feel to it it's yeah. definitely got that and it's got that in part because they filmed it in full colour yeah in cinemascope the work of Sidney J Fury we talked about the work of Slocum the work yeah. of Ross yeah but it was also and we'll come on to Peter Myers and Ronald Cass yes because of course they're integral in this and the two movies that follow it yeah 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 because they wrote the book and the score. That's right. Yeah, that's right. So they did the screenplay. Were in with Fury on the on the plotting and all the rest of it. Mm. And Myers and Cass were steeped in MGM. Yes, musicals. That was their bag. Wasn't it? That it was was their bag. Uh, Ronald Cass, who was Welsh, I think, mm. um, had been working in all sorts of musical jobs for for many years. So he was mm. a seasoned writer don't know too much about peter myers uh, there no. isn't much information around on him mm. but the the two of them 
had been working together. And what they were really good at was getting sharp, witty lyric mm. that fits in bang in the style. They, they weren't Cole Porter or George Gershwin or yeah. anything like that with, with the melody. But the melodies were strong, fine, fine yeah. singable, catchy. The uh, lyrics were witty. Yeah, Put and they wink a bigger shoes. They really <laughs> carried carried it across, and of course, a do, uh, Cass worked a lot with Tom Jones. Did he in later in oh, the in the later sixties? Oh, he was great friends know. with Tom. They're both Welsh. Yeah, yeah. he was great. <laughs> he was great friends with Tom Jones and worked with him on all, most of his TV specials. Ended up working with Harry Seacombe on Highway. But uh, I mean, it struck me at the start of this in terms of the score that they did, because of course they didn't do. We'll come to the non musical <laughs> music. Uh, in a moment, but it struck me right at the start from that. It's Friday night. There were real shades of Leonard Bernstein. Yes, it's very much that angular, absolutely tritone melody thing going on. Absolutely. Um... It sounds like On the Town. It sounds like West Side Story. Yes. You know, I'm not saying it's as heavyweight as West Side yes, but Story. It's definitely that but influence. it's got shades definitely of it. And influence. it's got that 60s cool. Um, in in the way that the music is constructed, yes, and it and they feel like classic numbers. They feel like they wouldn't be out of place in a movie no. from the fifties, but they've been brought up to date partly because of Stanley Black. Yeah, of course. Stanley Black, he, his arrangements and scores for that yeah. are, are incredible. Yeah. I mean, it's just right, isn't it? The the, the songs are are in the right idiom yeah the melodies and the and the arrangements stanley black's arrangements well i know fury said that stanley black really understood how to underscore a soundtrack so Mm. the incidental music the linking music but the the scoring on that which would have been which was stanley black and going through the auspices of more broadly of of the great nori paramore oh yes um really works and really fits that so it brings that mgm feel up to date to the to the 60s as was then yes um so to the the rest of the music was an interesting mixture wasn't it It was yeah 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 i mean um we've got uh tepper and bennett yeah. who were El- writers for elvis absolutely um, have, uh, for um elvis, yeah. they they wrote the title song they wrote they wrote yep. the, uh, young. the young ones and they also wrote uh, when the girl in your arms is the girl in your heart yeah which, which is, it which sounds is, it's elvis all over song. it's such elvis all so over. love me tender absolutely it's, it's very it's like an elvis ballad. interestingly enough tepper and bennett had written traveling light for cliff well oh. i mean i did i don't suppose they wrote it for cliff but the, it, he used it yeah um previously so it was a number a, one it was the follow-up number to living doll i think okay um and it's Good a very choice. relaxed uh a song yeah. and that was tepper and bennett yeah so they were obviously used to finding material from them and using it for Cliff, and that would have been Nori Paramore. Yeah, he he would have been the bloke who chose the Absolutely. songs. Absolutely. Artist and repertoire. Artist so and repertoire. he was the head honcho at Columbia Records. Yeah. He was in Cliff's George UK. Martin. He was Cliff's George Martin. In fact, he was George Martin's rival. Martin was snapping at his heels. Well, George Martin the 50s. very much uh, was in an envious position. Too, well, he was. Years, because Paramore, quite a bit of professional jealousy, I understand. Paramore the, had the, yeah. all the number ones yeah. at that point. Yeah. I mean... and. Till the Beatles came along, Paramore had all the number ones. Yes, and there was a famous uh, taking down of him on That Was The Week That Was by David Frost. Right. And apparently the information that Frost espoused in um, That Was The Week That Was... Came from? Came from George Martin. (laughs) (laughs) He dished the dirt. He dished the dirt. (laughs) After a couple of gin and tonics in some London bar, no doubt. Um, uh, But Paramore was, uh, I mean, he was ever-present at this point. This was a peak period. The late 50s... 
early 60s yeah. is his absolute peak period. Before the rise of George Martin and the yeah. Beatles on, on the rival EMI label on yeah. Parlophone. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you could, he, if, you, if you're very uh, much of a film buff, you will, if you're very, very sharp-eyed, see Norrie Paramore crop up every now and then in little cameos, yes. a Hitchcockian cameos, <laughs> either playing the piano or walking past with a tray in his hand, you know, some things like that. For films he was involved in, yeah. um, Frightened City is one. Oh, OK. Uh, which is also Shadows. Oh, yes. So they did the theme tune, didn't mm. they? That was a single, mm. wasn't it? Yeah. And um, so, yeah, I'm talking of the Shadows. They composed uh, the two Cliff Rockers. Yeah. Uh, well, and the two well, instrument- and the two Shadows instrumentals. They did. Yeah. Uh, the two so Cliff Rockers. Marvin were, and Welsh. Marvin and Welsh. And one of them was uh, composed also by uh, Peter Gormley. So we've got the three distinctive musical sources. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that we've discussed. That's Myers and Cass... The Tepper and Bennett material yeah. and the, the Shads yes. stuff. For, for the, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, yeah. But the great thing about the movie is that they all sit well together. They do. They all blend very nicely, yeah. don't they? And it's, I really? think that the, the prime example of that is the, the intro, the initial sequence. Mm. The starts off with a big show tune, like you say, mm. very... Uh, very Bernstein, very very uh, Bernstein, uh, yeah. Friday night, with the big orchestra and the yeah, a big band, lots of movement, all the choreography, travel, and it goes without a break, seamlessly. It slips from a big show tune to a rock and roll number. Yeah, and it's seamless. The other day I was listening just to the soundtrack. Mm. You barely notice a transition. It's to, and it's and that's really clever. Yeah. And it doesn't jar. No. And it doesn't sound like, hey, we're now going to go into a yeah. rock and roll. It just, it's a really smooth transition. And I think the fact that it can do these things, the fact that it can, you know, and quietly, I think probably because they use the shadows in uh, in the sequence where they're recording the ballad. Yeah. It blends in with the rock and roll stuff. Yeah. Because you've got the shadows, instrumental numbers and the two cliff rockers. Yeah, uh, in there as well, and so it gives it a kind of yeah, it's of got, a piece. It feels of a piece. You've somehow. got six pop numbers, which span from ballad to rock yeah. of the day, um, and then you've got the musicals numbers that sit around it, and it just they they work. It uh, yeah. nothing jarred with me. Again, probably the most incongruous with the two girl, the, yeah, two, the two Carol, the Gray, two Carol Gray numbers, yeah. all, all sung by Grazina Frame. Uh, yeah. yeah, 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 and. Um, well, one one job. person we missed was the other singer in it. Oh yes, um, Sonia Cordo. Yeah. Yes, Sonia Cordo. Yeah. Uh, who, so she was the busty. Yeah, the busty starlet. star. Yeah, who's brought yeah. in. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and makes Cliff look very uncomfortable. I wonder if that was all acting or not. It looks hot <laughs> under the collar. It looks hot under the collar. In fact, I've seen her definitely in a in a another movie, which would be sort of concurrent, uh, called Danger. By my side, I think okay. it's called, and she plays a nightclub singer in that as well. Okay. Uh, who, who who throws all her toys out of the pram when she's being marginalised and ends mm. up dead. Oh, uh, that's what happens when you throw yes, toys out of the pram. Yeah, absolutely, so. another crime caper. It is surprisingly yeah. enough yeah. another sixties crime caper. Yeah. Yeah, I but well, I, I remember her. Yeah. I think it was a bloke who played her manager in it. Uh, mm. Was Sean Sullivan, who's a Canadian actor that Sydney J. Fury, Mate of Furies, yeah, uh, in Mate mm. of Furies, and they mm. both. Uh, came over to Britain. The audience that was in for the big set piece at the end, mm. where they're doing the show to all the kids, yes. and so was a real audience. Yes, so, so that, they were playing that, to an actual. They yeah, actual were, house. That was a paying audience, yes. and of course, what was 
good about it was the the response was real because yeah that's a were, genuine response yeah. to they were all cliff it, fans and of course yeah. all the screaming while cliff and the shads and, and while the shadows are getting a tumultuous response yeah. to their, um, their instrumental um and that was genuine that that was a that's a real audience so. yes when we were talking about Cliff and his rock and roll roots earlier, it's worth noting that he had done a live album. Yes, he did. It was Cliff. it was it was, it was in recorded in Abbey Road mm. Studio Two, but with an audience bought yeah. in, and that's a really good album. And anyone who doubts Cliff's, his rock and roll uh, credentials, credentials needs to listen to that album. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Because not just album. Cliff, but the, the sound the sh- of the shadows. Yeah, because well. they Fantastic. do a few like Jet Black and some yeah. of the. So that this it's it, worth noting again that this is the last hurrah of. This shadows the original lineup. lineup of the shadows. Yeah, yeah, yeah the yeah. original who were originally the Drifters, and in yeah. fact, in that record, it's Cliff and the Drifters. It is. Yeah, it's not the, Cliff and the Shadows. Yeah, because that was over because they didn't they weren't aware of the American Soul yeah. Band at the time. Because yeah. it was me and left first, and then shortly afterwards, Jet Harris went, mm. and me and wanted uh, me and became a, a producer, and went on to handle the first few uh, Jet Harris singles. Mm. So stuff like Diamonds because Harris oh, had a, a few, fabulous single. Yeah. Had a few hits in his own right mm. uh, in in the wake of this and Pre yeah, Beatles. Um in fact he and the Beatles battled it out him I think it was Diamonds and Please Please Me battled it out for the top oh, spot. Right. Okay. Um and Diamonds did get to number 1. Mm. And it was yeah he he did well for a brief period. Yeah. Um and well, you could you could tell I mean quite apart Harris. from the the uh, Shattering news that Cliff was knocking off his missus. Yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> uh, I think there was only a certain amount of time that Jet Harris mm. was going to stay yeah. as sideman to not only Cliff, but also to Hank, Hank Marvin. Marvin. Yeah. Because he jumps out of the screen. He's yeah. stage centre, which is so unusual for, for the lead guitarist not to be in the centre, yeah. but for no, Jet it's, Harris. It's the be. bass player with his loose tie glowering over Cliff's shoulder, isn't it? That's yeah. uh, and your eyes drawn to him. Yeah, your eyes drawn. Absolutely. And he's got a lot of charisma. Yeah. And I think maybe that was there was too much charisma for one you band. Can't you, have, got, you got Cliff. You can't and have Hank three front men. You can't have three yeah. front men in all in one. But in in fairness, Hank was really good at being a side man as well yeah. as being a lead. Yeah, uh, he was good at that. But I don't yeah. think Jet Harris was. No. And so I think he was always gonna gonna go. And, and in fairness, they replaced both of them with extremely uh, able yeah, Brian musicians. Bennett. So there was a brief lineup with Brian Bennett and Jet Harris. Yes, and um, and I think uh, and Harris left. I think he, I think Harris had a bit of a problem with the old falling down water as well. But but you know he had he had a few hits in his own yeah, right, yeah. and um, didn't quite manage to sustain his career. No, throughout. although he was in a, I was surprised to discover was in the original lineup with the Jeff Beck group. Oh, was he in the later in the sixties? Well, playing bass again. Yeah. Oh gosh, yeah. And he came back to music later towards mm. the end of his... He's no longer with us, but towards the end of his life, and he's touring with Marty Wilde. And, mm. and yeah, he was, he, was, he was playing. He's still playing great. I think it's fair to say that The Young Ones is quite an important movie in yes. our series. Yeah, because, absolutely. First of all, I think it sets the gold standard for this type of film. Yeah. Uh, which is only removed from it when A Hard Day's Night comes yes. along. Of its type, The Young Ones... And the two films that followed it mm. were as good as this kind of medium got. Yes. And it's where 1960s British pop culture is starting to flex its muscles yeah. properly. It's a, bit, it's a few twitches, yeah. isn't it? It's getting a few there. twitches. It's starting now to produce homegrown music mm. of content and be more ambitious with its scope. Yeah. So overall, I think this is a really good little movie. It's a... Yeah. a I would give it a thumbs up, and thumbs I would up say, for me. and I would say, I, I, 
I thoroughly enjoyed it. I think that it was a well-conceived, well-put-together film. I think it is a benchmark movie of its type and certainly one of the best that we're going to see in this series. I think so, absolutely. So if you only want the edited highlights of the best and the worst, we are going to come to some of the worst. This one, I think, deserves to be among the best. I think that's the young ones. I think we're starting high. We're starting high. 1961, Cliff Richard, Robert Morley... Sydney J. Fury et al. Great movie. Yeah. Great movie. Very yeah. much enjoyed it. Recommended to all. So what's up next? Well, next month we should be jumping aboard the 6-5 special. special. Yes, we'll be, we'll be catching a ride on this spin-off from the, from the famous, famous TV uh, series. Groundbreaking yeah. Yeah. TV Jack Good. series. Jack Good again, yeah. his first series. Yeah, Absolutely. yeah, yeah. So there'll be uh, wonderful appearances from the likes of Lonnie Donegan, Johnny Dankworth. Cleo Lane, Lane, Jim Dale, uh, Jim Dale, a, a yeah, yeah. load of people, amongst others. But uh, I, I think importantly, we're going right back to near where this genre begins. Yes. So this is late fifties, yeah, and uh, black and white, and a classic pop vehicle, yeah, with a, a, with, a vehicle. with a slimline tonic <laughs> um, plot. Absolutely. Uh, so, so, so it's going to be quite interesting to have a look at yeah. that. Wind the clock back, mm. and we should be looking at. So join us then. Yes. And feel free to drop us a line. Please do. And uh, any comments or suggestions, uh, feel free. We'll put uh, links on how to contact us in the show notes. Great stuff. So uh, looking forward to seeing you again next time. I've been Matt Bragg. And I'm still Gavin Lazarus. <laughs> and this is at the end of the first episode of Britpop Movies of, of a Certain Age. Britpop Movies of a Certain Age. Good. Okay, fellas. Let's do the show right here. Okay. A one, a two, a you know what to do. Ha! Well, I got a funny feeling that I'm falling in love with you. Yeah, I got a funny feeling that I'm falling in love with you. Every day and night, I dream of dreams of you. Yeah, I got a funny feeling that I'm falling in love with you Well, my heart goes a-bobbing every time I catch a sight of you Well, my heart goes a-bobbing every time I get a sight of you Just say the word and tell me that I'll do Cause I got a funny feeling that I'm falling in love Yes, you're the one Don't try to run If it turns out right I'll squeeze you tight When you're in my arms tonight I'm gonna get a funny feeling That you're falling in love with me Well, you better get a funny feeling That you're falling in love with me My love can't wait So make that day you see I'll let you get in a funny feeling and you're falling in love with me. Oh, come on now. Yes, you're the one. 
Don't try to run If it turns out right I'll squeeze you tight But when you're in my arms tonight You better get a funny feeling That you're falling in love with me Oh, you better get a funny feeling That you're falling in love with me My love can't wait So make that day you'll see Then you're getting a funny feeling that you're falling in love You're getting a funny feeling that you're falling in love You're getting a funny feeling that you're falling in love with me Uh-huh Hey, Bill.